This week's Motley Fool Money is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. You have an investing style. TD Ameritrade has a mobile app to match it. Check out TD Ameritrade Mobile and Think or Swim Mobile to find the one that's right for you. Member SIPC. Thanks also to Audible for supporting Motley Fool Money. For a limited time, get three months of Audible for $6.95 a month. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals for free. Go to audible.com slash fool or text the word fool to 500-500. Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio this week, senior analyst Jason Moser, Andy Cross, and Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey, hey, Chris. We've got the latest news from Wall Street. Nell Minow is our guest, and as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin with retail, and best in class this week is Target. Shares of Target hit an all-time high after a monster third quarter where pretty much everything was higher than expected. Target also raised guidance for the full fiscal year. And Ron, big tip of the jester cap to CEO Brian Cornell and his team. Really getting it done. Investment in e-commerce, rollout of curbside pickups, same-day deliveries, really bearing fruit. Com sales up 4.5%. Online sales up 31%. Adjusted earnings up 25%. Really very very strong quarter. Yeah, and eighty percent of the comparable sale, the digital comparable sales growth was really from those those same Dave initiatives to drive up, ship it, or pick up that Ron mentioned. The investments they're making in this space, they've really been able to leverage the uniqueness to Target, which is their their brand, I think, and what they offer in there, their merchandising, but also their locations. They have all those locations, eighteen hundred some locations, and they continue to innovate in that way that has really made them the class of the industry. Yeah, they've they've opened smaller locations, they're focusing on groceries, they're expanding their private brands, doing a lot of things right. Now for the holiday season, making a big bet on toys. Well, a a lot of momentum going into the holiday season, but you mentioned the private brands, and I'm reminded of uh, the story a few years ago where Cornell decided, we're going to sell our pharmacy business. And there were legitimate questions at the time of, is this a good move? Because that's a profitable part of the business. And he made the case then, no, we're going to invest in private brands. We're going to invest it in other ways. And it's hard to look at that move now as anything other than smart. They've literally made a series of very smart moves all along the way. If you had bought the stock three years ago or even a year ago, you're, you're a very happy investor. I think they're set up well, as we were saying, for the holiday season. Big bet on, on uh, toys, two dozen mini Disney stores within uh, certain locations. And something I didn't know is they've kind of taken over the fulfillment of the Toys R Us website, which I was not didn't know that that was back. Yeah, I think, though, when you look at the performance of companies like Walmart and Target versus a lot of these other retailers, you're starting to see that them separate a little bit. It really, to me, grocery is turning out to be one of those major differentiators. We wouldn't have thought about it all that long ago because it's just so obvious, right? It's right there in front of you. But grocery is just such a tremendous opportunity. Uh, and, and Walmart and Target have made so many investments in that space, really clearly starting to pay off. Well, and part of the reason is because grocery stores, publicly traded grocery stores, weren't necessarily a great stock to have in your portfolio if you're just thinking about sort of the generic 
grocery stores, Giant, Safeway, etc. Yeah, and they're still not <laughs> very yeah. good stocks to hold in your portfolio because they're just a razor-thin margin business to begin with, with the exception of your Costco's of the world, thanks to that membership model. You know, from a stock perspective, okay, so they raise full-year guidance, which is appropriate. They're doing really well. Still only 20 times earnings based on that new guidance. So, even though the stock's up 91% this year, I don't think 20 times is expensive for a business that's firing like this. By the way, if you're Amazon, doesn't this make you feel good to see this? I mean, it, it, yes, they're in competition, but isn't it harder to make the case that Amazon is destroying retail when Target and Walmart and Costco are doing well? Well, I think there's plenty of other retailers that Amazon can point to that haven't been doing quite as well. Just uh, but, a few. But clearly, to Jason's point, he mentioned grocery. That's been a big driver for both, certainly for Walmart, big big supporter there, and uh, also for Target. And um, what those guys are doing is so much different than what we're seeing from the other competitors that I think Amazon has plenty of um, bragging rights for what they've done to the industry. Speaking of other retailers, <laughs> if Target's third quarter was a thing of beauty, the third quarters of Macy's and Kohl's, not so much. Shares down 10% and 20% respectively this week after Macy's and Kohl's are really struggling, Jason, to get any momentum going into the holidays. Well, this is like that. Well, we have some good news and bad news. We gave you the good news first, listeners. Here's the bad news. Uh, Macy's and Kohl's. Wow. I mean, it just, it, it, you know, with Macy's, it never. I'm never surprised. It doesn't, I don't feel like I'm ever surprised, really, when they miss expectations or or guide down. I mean, that's just what you've kind of come to expect from a business like this. And they really just continued that trend. Uh, back in August, some of the numbers I was looking at with this company, just to, to figure out where they were headed. I mean, top line revenue down 11% since 2015. Net income down 33%. Earnings per share down 22%. They've burned through a lot of cash along the way, too. Uh, I, I will give them credit. At least that cash is not going towards share repurchases over the last few years. So, so that's yet. good. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> now, I mean, five times <laughs> earnings. Somebody's going to be tempted. You look at something like Kohl's, and I tell you, I recently went into a Kohl's to return an Amazon package. Uh, number one, I'm never going to do that again because it was just it wasn't enjoyable. I had to stand in line. Uh, but then what I did after I got done with it, I took a lap around the store because I haven't been in a Kohl's and I can't remember how long. I felt like I was walking around a J.C. Penney, and and that's not a good it's not a good thing. Uh, so I mean, when you talk about a company with financials that are trending in the wrong direction, Kohl's very much the same picture. Interestingly, their dividend yield now at five point seven percent. The payout ratio is creeping up. I think we really have to pay attention to this one because the financials don't look like they're going to be able to support that payout. Well, and we were talking at our production meeting. You look at the number of locations that Macy's and Kohl's have combined. It's somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,800 locations. That just seems too big and too many locations for retailers that are struggling like this. It does seem like a lot, and I appreciate them partnering up with Amazon, for example, as another option for returning, but they're not the only ones doing that. I mean, the UPS store, for example, is doing the same thing. We were in a UPS store recently as well, and they said most of their business day-to-day, people coming in to return Amazon packages. Yeah, Macy's was concerned that their report wasn't weak enough, so they threw in a data breach, <laughs> um, just for good measure. Um, I guess they, they saw Target weather this so hopefully they will do that as well. Shares of Intuit falling on Friday, despite first quarter profits coming in higher than expected. Andy, got to give management at Intuit credit for being very upfront about the fact that they're about to spend a lot of money on marketing. Well, also, you just think about what Intuit has done, Chris, over the last, I mean, how they have really um, changed this business, moved it aggressively into the cloud, where they now provide their financial management software, QuickBooks, TurboTax, they even have Mint, 
Um, they just they they've made this adjustment and it's really benefited them. The stock is up 34% year to date and up 176% over the last five years versus 46% for the market. The quarter was actually pretty. I thought it was pretty impressive. Revenue was up 15%. That was ahead of their own guidance. Their operating income up 26%. Their Earnings per share was at 41 cents. That was way ahead of analyst expectations. Their guidance may have been a little bit weaker than I think people were looking for, certainly from the analysts. But overall, Intuit continues to do exactly what investors love to see for this business. They're small business and self-employed, which is their main business for QuickBooks. That ecosystem revenue that they talk about, which they want to see grow more than 30% every year, that was up 35%. That continues to be a stretch of their of their success and a part of their business where they can get more and more clients into that ecosystem and be able to charge them for more and more services. Who is attempting to compete with Intuit? I'm uh, scratching my head trying to think of who is the Coke to their Pepsi or the Pepsi to their Coke. It's a great question. I don't not to the success when I mean, they have more than 50 million clients. They really have done so well on the small business um, and the individual. Really, the small business though with their QuickBooks and now their accounting. They continue to push into new and newer services too. They now offer credit some credit scoring services into there. So as they continue to evolve, they're not going to continue to grow at 30-40% a year like they did this quarter on their profit side. So it may be more like 10-15%, but that's still pretty respectable for a $70 billion organization. Coming up, the retail angle that a lot of investors are missing. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. It's that time of year again, people. It's the holidays. You're running around giving gifts. And when you're doing that, think about giving yourself a gift. Give yourself the gift of listening with an Audible membership. For a limited time, you can get three months of Audible for $6.95 a month at audible.com fool, or you can just text the word fool to 500-500. You can access an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, including mysteries, memoirs, bestsellers, and more. And with the Audible app, you can listen anytime, anywhere, on any device. Listen at the gym while you're in the car, shopping. Anytime you can't read, you can listen with Audible. Last week on the show, we had the interview that I did earlier this year with David Epstein about his awesome book, Range, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. That's the book I just picked up on Audible. Fantastic to listen to. For a limited time, get three months of Audible for $6.95 a month. That's more than half off the regular price, so that's a deal. Be honest. Each month, choose one audiobook plus two Audible originals for free. Visit audible.com slash fool, or just text the word fool to 500-500. Give yourself the gift of listening. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Andy Cross, and Ron Gross. Home Depot and Lowe's both out with third quarter reports this week. Lowe's having the better week with profits higher than expected and the company raising guidance while Home Depot stock down more than 8% on lower revenue and same-store sales, Jason. So, Chris, Home Depot's quarter wasn't as bad as the sell-off would have you believe, and Lowe's quarter wasn't as good as perhaps the buying in the stock would have you believe. I mean, this really is all just about expectations at the end of the day and what they see happening in the coming quarters. But if you look at the way the companies are performing, Home Depot reaffirming earnings per share guidance, they did guide down 50 basis points on comps. So, there could be some traffic concerns there. It could just be poor forecasting earlier in the year. 
Uh, it, it, they're using language in the call like the housing market is healthy and stable, and uh, and certainly with Home Depot, they they saw growth in both the number of transactions and the size of those transactions. Now Lowe's, on the other hand, while they raised earnings per share guidance, they see their comps around three percent, which is a little lighter than Home Depot. But while Lowe's saw some growth in ticket size, transactions were actually down, so they're still trying to figure out how to generate that traffic uh, that that has been on the decline recently. At the end of the day, you've got Home Depot trading at 22 times full year estimates. You've got Lowe's trading at around 21 times full year estimates. It never changes. And, and, and I mean, <laughs> Home Depot yielding 2.5%, Lowe's yielding 1.9%. So I think you make your, your decisions based on, on those numbers. Uh, what do you make of Lowe's uh, closing the stores in Canada? Not that they have a huge footprint there, but uh, on a percentage basis, uh, part of their announcement was we really need to rethink what we're doing in Canada. Well, yeah, it's just it's, it's not Canada specific. Specific in the sense that they're just trying to find areas of underperformance. And so right now, this is a business in transition. Marvin Ellison, the, the relatively new CEO, is really trying to, to get things back in order and, and make the investments count. And so if you have underperforming stores uh, in retail, you just you have to shut them down and focus on where you're seeing more success. Something got, that got talked about on the Home Depot call uh, was the amount of theft that Home Depot is dealing with, third quarter in a row, that uh, shrink, uh, which is where employee theft and just shoplifting in general comes under. Um, and got to give credit to Courtney Reagan at CNBC, because she just did a, a pretty eye-opening report. I didn't realize the extent to which both Home Depot and Lowe's are dealing with a, a rising amount of theft, um, how that is impacting their margins, and retailers in general. National uh, Retail Federation out with a survey, nearly 70% of retailers are reporting higher theft than they were a year ago. Yeah, I really, over the next, I don't know, two or three quarters, I'm just going to search through every retail call for that word shrink to see how many <laughs> times it comes up. Because I suspect we'll see it come up often. And for Home Depot, they actually quantified it. Uh, and it came out to about a 31 basis point drop in gross margin, thanks to that problem of shrink. And that's everywhere from just inventory mismanagement, return issues, to theft, internal and external. And uh, they even had an interview with the former CFO of, of Home Depot, and, and we've we've seen the development of this black market, which is just really astounding. And she was attributing a lot of this to the opioid crisis, desperation, people looking to figure out new ways to just get money. Uh, it, it's a fascinating thing, but it shows you a lot of the risks still out there for those those big box uh, retailers. Shares of Nordstrom up 10% on Friday after third quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. Ron Nordstrom stock. Has definitely bounced back from the low that it hit in August. Still down for the year, though. Down 21% for the year. So, this report, they did beat expectations, but not everything was great. They did sell more off price clothing. They kept inventories at reasonable levels. Their investments in their loyalty program, digital marketing have helped, but total revenue was down 2%. And that's a result of a 4.1% decline in their full priced stores sales. Off price was stronger, uh, up 1.2 percent. Digital sales was even stronger, up 7 percent. But when you boil it all together, total sales down too. Not great. You did have gross margins widening a bit, which helped profit. That led to a 90.5 percent increase in adjusted earnings. They were able to raise the lower end of their 2019 guidance. Stocks only trading at 11 times. But you know, let's face it; it's because they have not done a great job over over the last several years. There are stretches of time where Nordstrom, as a business, has done well, and therefore the stock has done well. But every time I think about taking this 
retailer and putting it on my watch list, I'm reminded of the fact that this family wants to sell the business. I mean, <laughs> it, like, it, does that alone just keep a stock off to the side for you? Because it's hard for me to think in terms of, this is a stock I want to own for the next 10, 20 years, when I know that the family <laughs> has talked openly about selling it. Well, I don't mind if a stock gets taken out from under me at a premium, as long as the premium is fair. But I just think it's, it's real hard to get people interested in mall-based retailers right now. That's the main reason they're having trouble uh, selling the company. It's the main reason and people don't want to own this company, and, and their, their their operating performance is just just not great. Big deal brewing in the financial industry. Charles Schwab is reportedly trying to buy TD Ameritrade. If it happens and the deal goes through, the resulting brokerage would have roughly five trillion dollars in assets. Andy, that's Holy, a lot of money. That's a big number. <laughs> uh, it's a big number, but when you're competing against the likes of Vanguard and BlackRock, who also have numbers that begin with T's, uh, that's you. You gotta. You gotta. Expect that consolidation. We've talked about this, especially after Charles Schwab made that um, blockbuster announcement earlier this fall that they were going to zero um, dollar commissions, uh, and then TD Ameritrade Fidelity all followed along. So uh, th- those stocks all really got hit, and Schwab um, is sitting there, uh, one of the better run discount brokerages as the largest discount broker, and saying, "How can we continue to get more and more scale? That's really important in this business." TD Ameritrade looking at saying that uh, their revenues would drop by 15% probably with the lack of the trading revenues now from the zero percent from the zero dollars commissions and they need scale and so the rumors have been in the kind of conversation zone we've talked about them not really surprised to see this and not surprised to see that Charles Schwab is looking to make that acquisition TD Ameritrade is a 25 billion dollar company I'm I guess I'm not surprised that Schwab is making this move. I guess I'm just more surprised that E-Trade, which is a much smaller company at $10 billion, is still out there as a standalone public company. Well, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's a scale play, right? So, TD Ameritrade, this will give Schwab and TD Ameritrade probably like 15 million clients. They're, they are really strong in the RIA, the Registered Investment Advisory, in the custodial business. That's actually where they're going to start to see some pushback from the regulations and from the regulators. We look at the Financial Industry Regulation Authority, the Federal Reserve, um, the SEC. They may start pushing back on, on how, from a competitive perspectives, does this give a Schwab TD Ameritrade an unfair advantage against the other players? They better not lose sight of the customer either. And I mean, I'm just thinking back to when TD Ameritrade acquired Scott Trade. And as a Scott Trade user, that integration, that transition was not seamless for me. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't losing sleep over it, but it took a little work. And now it sounds like I may have to do it all over again because I'm a TD Ameritrade user because they bought Scott Trade. Uh, so, yeah, scale's great. You want to be, you want to be uh, as big as you can, it seems. In the space, but I, I do hope that they they don't lose sight of the customer throughout this uh, rapid growth. Agreed. But having said that, it's it's never been a better time to be an individual investor, where we can buy and sell stocks for free. Uh, fractional shares are coming to Charles Schwab, so we can we can buy those uh, stocks that are higher priced if we want. There's services, websites are better than they've ever been. It, it's a good time for investors. But in the next twelve months, is E-Trade a standalone public company still, or is someone? And I'm looking at you, Capital One. Is someone going to snap them up? <laughs> I, I really feel like I mean we're, we're just beginning to see the consolidation in this space. I mean, you see Square now laying uh, a foundation to, to be able to, to offer these types of services. I mean, you got to wonder what exactly is going to happen to Robinhood. Uh, just going to be a fascinating year, I think, in this space. 
Next week is Thanksgiving, which means it's going to be time for our Thanksgiving special edition of Motley Fool Money, a tradition unlike any other, actually. <laughs> True. Uh, obviously, there are special foods that come with the holidays, and Tim Hortons is here to help. Tim Hortons is coming out with what the company is calling a holiday product lineup that includes specialty coffees and specialty donuts, including, and I'm quoting here, the festive vanilla dip, a yeast ring donut topped with green fondant and red and white sprinkles. Ron, do you think this is going to help Restaurant Brands International, the parent company? Do you think this is going to help move the stock? Not a fan of fondant. It's 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 hmm. not good. It's it's for decoration. It's not tasty. Who is doing the communications at this company that they're using phrases like <laughs> yeast <laughs> ring donut? And for that matter, holiday antibiotics clear that right up. And holiday product lineup. I mean. You're selling food. Why are you referring to it that way? It seems so easy, and yet people make it so difficult. (laughs) All right, guys, we'll see you later in the show. Up next, our friend Nell Minow has a few things investors should know about governance and a few movies to check out this holiday season. So stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Nell Minow is the vice chair of Value Edge Advisors. She is the film critic known as the Movie Mom, and she joins me now. Nell, good to talk to you. I'm very glad to be back. Lots to talk about. Lots to talk about. Can we start with WeWork? Yes. Because it never it never fails it gets to amaze me. Every day, it's like the impeachment hearing. It keeps getting crazier. So, in the span of just two months, we have gone from WeWork planning to go public at a valuation of nearly fifty billion dollars to essentially the implosion of certainly the value of the business. And there are some people that I've talked to who say, you know what, the system worked. WeWork filed their S1. Investors got to look at the numbers and said, not even remotely interested in this. And that was that. That's some of the people I talked to. I'm talking to you now. So when you step back and look at what has transpired over the last couple of months, what goes through your mind? Well, I I think that you're 100% right about that. You know, uh, this was the new Coke of initial public offerings. Uh, it, they put it out in the market, and the market said, basically, bitch, please. You know, I don't know where you came up with this valuation. Uh, corporate governance is whack. Uh, I don't think it's worth anything. And so, yay, the market worked there. However, that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of blame to go around, starting with, of course, always the board of directors. And I blame them for agreeing to go on the board when the uh, founder had uh, so much control, 20 votes per share. Um, that's somebody who's telling you, I don't want a real board. And that is when you say, thanks, but no thanks. Um, but I particularly blame the other players in this. I blame the Wall Street guys because we literally pay them the big bucks so that we don't have new Coke coming onto the market, so that they do some vetting and they come up with a supportable valuation and uh, an initial public offering that people are not going to laugh out of town. And so that was just a train wreck on their part. I completely hold them responsible. And uh, the people who should really be angry here, I think, are whoever the investors are in SoftBank, because that was bananas uh, for them to put so much money in and then find themselves kind of 
stuck in quicksand as it all started to go under and put even more money in. And of all the crazy stuff that went on, and gosh knows, uh, there's a, a you know, truckload of crazy in this story. Nothing is crazier than that departure package for Newman. Yeah, it really is. When you look at what SoftBank did, it's the classic example of sunk cost yeah. and just the idea that, well, we've already put this money in, so we're exactly. going to put some more in and hope that we can recoup some more. Yeah, it's also the classic case of putting good money in after bad and not knowing when to cut your losses. Uh, and they never came up with a legitimate explanation for it. They never came up with anything persuasive to say why they knew something more about the value there. The, you know, the very thing that made this company appealing is the very thing that makes it hard to value, and that is that there's just no stickiness for its revenue stream. Uh, the reason that we like real estate is that people sign long-term leases and we have some idea of uh, what our revenues are going to be going into the future. But there is nothing to keep people going to WeWork any more than you might say going to Starbucks. You know, they we don't know. They could Something better than Starbucks could open up, something better than WeWork could open up, uh, and that's the end of it. And and so aside from all the the self-dealing, uh, and volatility of Adam Newman as a as a CEO, um, nobody really knows what this company is worth. Also, in the past couple of months, we've had more CEOs leaving or announcing their intentions to leave the corner office. Uh, T-Mobile, Nike, McDonald's, Under Armour, and more. 2019 is going to be a record year for CEO departures. Is it just tougher to run a public company these days than it was 10, 20 years ago? I don't think so. Um, and the departures are kind of cyclical. There was a whole big run of departures in the late 80s, too. And I think boards sometimes get jittery and have kind of queen of hearts off with their heads thing going on. But I guess I would say that if a particular company is too big and complicated to run, then maybe it's a good time to sell off some non-core assets and make some strategic decisions because if it's if it's too big to run or too complicated to run then the market should respond to that in some kind of rational way and the problem with booting out your ceo is that you then have the onerous task of trying to find somebody better and that's not always easy to do but in the list that you've just given of the ceo departures i think probably the weirdest has to be the mcdonald's one don't you think Absolutely. Although I was struck by the swiftness uh, with which the board of directors um, showed Steve Easterbrook the door and appeared to have the pieces in place, uh, not just to replace him, but to move other people up the chain. Well, that's true. And of course, we always advise boards that they should have that envelope in the drawer. You know, what if the CEO uh, gets hit by a bus or gets, a, you know, some great other job? Um and so that's, you know, good for them. But, you know, how many times did they use the word consensual in their statements about the relationship that he was having with an employee? And, of course, the whole thing about Me Too uh, and Time's Up is that it's inherently not consensual if there's a power dynamic there. And adults have options of getting other jobs or making other decisions and and. You know, and the company, of course, like every other company, has got rules about that. And yet, somehow, that's not termination for cause, and he still gets to go home with all his parting gifts. 
Before we move on to movies, uh, earlier this month, the SEC put forward new rules that would require proxy advisor firms to give companies the chance to review proxy materials before they were sent to shareholders. I know you're a fan of shareholders being involved. Do you think this proposal improves on the current process? Well, I think it's a disaster. It's catastrophic in every way. And in fact, Bloomberg uh, just wrote a great expose yesterday of how many of the comment letters that were cited uh, by this, which is just a proposal, by the way, it's not final yet, it's in the comment period. Um, uh, many of the, of the comment letters that were uh, cited by the commission in coming out with this turned out to be completely bogus. Uh, how do we know? Well, a lot of them had the exact same typo in the address. Uh, so, and, and when they called the commenters, the people who signed the letters, they said, what, a letter? I didn't write a letter. So uh, it's been a bogus process all the way through. Uh, you've heard me complain about the fake dark money front group, the Main Street investors that have no connection to Main Street investing or coalitions, although they claim to have one. Um, that's funded by uh, the National Association of Manufacturers. Basically, this is a kill-the-messenger idea. They want uh, to be able to make sure that the sole source of independent research and analysis on proxy issues and corporate governance is shut down. On top of everything else, it's clearly unconstitutional. One thing that we know about the First Amendment is that the government cannot impose a prior restraint on written material. And uh, by forcing ISS, which it voluntarily does anyway, by the way, to share their uh, drafts with companies, um, I think the courts will uh, throw that out immediately. Before we get to the movie theaters, let's start with the home theaters. Mm. Uh, Disney Plus launched last week. Uh, Are you a subscriber? I am. Not only am I a subscriber, I'm a little embarrassed to admit it, but it's true. I was up at dawn and watched The Mandalorian first thing. So you're a fan. Yeah, I am. I I had to really think about it. I mean, I'm pretty profligate in subscribing to streaming services, and I but I just was not going to do both the Apple and the Disney, and I had to really think about it. But Disney's uh, just seems so far superior that that's what I went with. Yeah, it seems like a, a, a lot of people tend to think in terms of Netflix, of course, being the dominant player right. in video streaming, as. Uh, being the target of all of the threats, but at least based on the early reviews of the newest programs from the newest services, it seems like you could look at Disney Plus and Apple Plus being much more direct competitors. Like, if I'm assuming you're not the only person who's looking at the early offerings from Apple Plus and Disney Plus and saying, I'm going to stick with Disney. Yeah. I think that's probably right. I mean, Disney, let's face it, they've spent a long time accumulating and creating uh, probably, you know, the core, uh, the canon of our culture. And if Disney Plus has got not just their own backlog, but also Marvel and Star Wars and Pixar, I mean, seriously, that's uh, murderer's row of the Yankees when they had, uh, you know, when they owned uh, the pennant. That's, that's, you, you cannot beat that. Um, I think what's interesting is how many other people uh, are getting into this, including NBC coming up with Peacock, the HBO, um, and how difficult it's going to be for people who are currently uh, getting that material um, uh, to decide whether they want to pay extra for the same thing plus what. I don't know how that's all going to work. 
Let's get to some of the big releases this holiday season, and obviously this weekend it's Frozen 2, which I'm assuming I feel pretty confident is going to win the weekend and and probably Thanksgiving weekend as well in terms of uh, the box office receipts. Um, Any early sense of if this movie can live up to the uh, first Frozen? Well, I've seen it. And uh, I thought it was great. Uh, I don't think it's going to be a cultural juggernaut in the same way, and I don't think we're going to be hearing the new songs in the same way we heard Let It Go, but I think it's going to do very, very well. And important for uh, investors in Disney, which I am, uh, it's got some new characters who I think are going to be very, very big under a lot of Christmas trees um, this year. Uh, it's, it's, I thought it was great. It's a, um, a very thoughtful story uh, that has a very accessible and um, reassuring uh, treatment of issues that are of a lot of concerns, not just to children, but to everybody. How do we deal with change? How do we fix problems? And I love there's a song uh, called uh, Just Do the Next Right Thing, and I think uh, that's a, a good idea for all of us. So Frozen, I thought, was terrific. It's going to make boatloads of money, but it's going to have some tough competition this week from uh, the Mr. Rogers movie, uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which is amazing, and everybody should go see it with their family on Thanksgiving. How big is the crossover audience there? I'm assuming there are people uh, like me who are going to not only watch Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers, but also uh, try to have my kids do it as well, but... I don't know. I'm just. I'm not picturing a ton of of small children pouring into that movie like uh, they're going to be pouring into Fro- Frozen it, Two. Even though it's rated PG, it's not an episode of Mr. Rogers. It's really. It's and it's not. Mr. Rogers is not the main character. It's really the story based on a real story of a journalist who went to interview Mr. Rogers and really found his life transformed by him as kind of a proxy for all of us and what we all learn from Mr. Rogers. I promise everybody will be a better person at the end of that movie than they are at the beginning. And you'll cry, too. Um, so, but but that, that journalist, the main character played by Matthew Reese from The Americans, he has to struggle with some real family issues. There's some sad and angry stuff that happens in this movie. And so it's not for little kids. It's not for the audience of Mr. Rogers. It's for the people who grew up with Mr. Rogers. And, uh, and so I would say maybe, you know, 11 or 12 and up for that movie. But what a great movie. If there are expectations about Frozen 2, they probably pale in expectations to uh, the final Star Wars movie of this latest trilogy, uh, The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, any sense of how this is going to do? It's uh, as, as someone who is not only a Disney shareholder, but also just a, a fan of these movies in general, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm hoping it does well, not just financially, but just from a story standpoint as well. Me too. I've really got my fingers crossed. I've been a Star Wars fan since what we now call Episode Four: A New Hope, and uh, I'm very excited about it. I, I, I've heard that they have beautifully treated some of the footage that they have of our Princess Leia, Carrie Fisher. So I'm looking forward to that. And The Mandalorian actually made me feel very hopeful about it. Even though it's being done by different people, it shows that they understand the characters and they understand that universe very, very well. We've got a lot of great stuff coming out between now and the end of the year, uh, including um, the new Little Women, which looks phenomenal. I think that's going to do very well. Uh, I think the clunker probably coming out this season looks like cats. I think they spent a fortune on that, and uh, I don't think it's going to do well at all. Yeah, I can't say. I'm I'm uh, 
excited to shell out my money for cats, or for that matter, um, sit on a plane and watch it for free. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid you're right. That one may be streaming very, very, very soon. I want to bring to your attention a movie that I think you might be interested in, uh, and that is, have you heard about The Banker? I've heard a little bit about The Banker. It's but, based uh, on a true story that I didn't know anything about, about two black men who started a bank uh, because the regular banks were not making loans to people of color, and they had to hire a white guy who knew nothing about banking to pretend to be the banker. He was the front? To, to be the front, exactly. And that looks really good, Anthony Mackie. So I'm very excited about that. Well, you just uh, answered what was going to be my last question, which was, uh, you know, obviously, Star Wars, Frozen, Mr. Rogers, they're going to get a lot of the oxygen and attention um, so I'm always interested in your thoughts on w- what are the under-the-radar movies to look out for, but it sounds like The Banker is the one. That could be, but I'll also mention Knives Out, which is opening up next week. Uh, if you are like me and you like stories about big old houses where there's a murder and everybody's a suspect and the detective gathers them all in one room to tell them who did it on acid, <laughs> that's basically Knives Out. It's got a great all-star cast with Daniel Craig and Jamie Lee Curtis, and Don Johnson, and Chris Evans, and it will keep you guessing right up until the end. Sounds like a great movie for anyone who's getting ready to get together with the extended family over Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. You can follow Nell Minow on Twitter, get her thoughts on corporate governance, movies, and a lot more. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, Nell. You too. Thanks again. Coming up, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Before we get to the stocks on our radar, just a reminder that this episode of Motley Fool Money is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. So you've done a ton of research on a trade, but you can't decide if you want to go through with it. TD Ameritrade's trade desk might be the secret to figuring it all out. Just go to tdameritrade.com slash trade desk to see how they can help gut check your trades. Remember, SIPC. That's money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio once again with Jason Moser, Andy Cross, and Ron Gross. Time for the stocks on our radar. Our man behind the glass, Steve Broda, is going to hit you with a question. Ron, you're up first. What are you looking at this week? I got a radar stock I talked about yesterday on YouTube Live. Uh, Dave and Buster's, P L A Y, uh, restaurant and arcade company, currently have 133 locations. Stock got crushed in September and then again um, in June and then again in September on uh, weak negative comp sales. So things are not going great, but they've got a plan. Don't worry about it. They're going to remodel the stores, they're going to cut costs, they are returning capital to shareholders through buybacks, raising the dividend. End, you get a 1.6% yield right now. Stock's only trading at a forward PE of 12.5 times. If they can turn this around a little bit, you probably have 50% upside in the stock. Steve, question about Dave and Buster's? You bet. Where does the money come from? Is it games? Is it beer? Is it food? Where's the money? It's actually 50 50 between arcade games and the food and barbell. 
Jason Moser, what are you looking at? Uh, yeah, well, you probably heard of the PayPal acquisition of Honey this week. So PayPal uh, is is my radar stock ticker PYPL. Uh, and, and this is a big deal, right? Four billion dollars. It sounds really big. Uh, let's put it in a context, though. PayPal acquired Braintree back in 2013. That was about two and a half percent of the value of PayPal back then. This deal is a bit more than three percent. So it actually, I mean, it's a big acquisition, but it's not crazy on a relative basis. Uh, Honey, interesting business. Has some pretty key partners with companies like Walmart, Booking.com, Etsy, and even AliExpress. Uh, they are looking to become more a part of the overall relationship, not just being there at the checkout. This is one way to do it. So, I think instead of looking at it as uh, the 17 million monthly active users they'll get from Honey, it's about figuring out ways to plug their 300 million monthly active users into that network and grow that side of the business. This is certainly one way to do it. Steve, question about PayPal? You bet. Is PayPal trying to get into the space where you know you use your cell phone, you hold it up to the little RFID reader, and it just works? Are they getting into that space? Are they in that space? I don't know, actually. I'd have to look a little bit more into that. Andy Cross, what are you looking at this week? I got Box, symbol BOX. No surprise there. Reports quarterly earnings next quarter. The cloud storage and content management provider serves almost 70% of the Fortune 500 companies. They've really struggled over the past year to continue to hit their ambitious revenue goals. So I want to see how Aaron Levy, who's the founder and CEO, continues to turn this ship right. Steve, question about Box? You bet. Are there things you're afraid to store in the cloud, personally, Andy? Uh, my children's photos, I don't like to put them out in the cloud. Box, PayPal, Dave and Buster. Steve, you got a stock you want to add to your watch list? I own some PayPal, and I think I'd add to it. All right. Hmm, interesting. Sorry, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Always surprised me. Jason Moser, Andy Cross, get some rest, because next week it's the Thanksgiving special. Thanks yeah, for being thanks here, guys. Chris. Thanks, Chris. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Creer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.